The following message is from the Church at Greer Station. For more information, visit tcgreerstation.com. Um, like Trevor said, my name is Jonathan Franklin, and I am honored to have the opportunity um, to be with y'all and worship with y'all tonight, and honored to have the opportunity to, to preach. Um, a little bit of information about myself. I'm, I'm now 29 years old, um, and I told myself that I was going to wait till I was 30 to make wide generalizing statements about things that have, I know from my experience, um, but I figured I was close enough, so we're just going to roll with it. In my 29 years, <laughs> I have come to realize that knowledge is a strange thing. The more, the more you begin to press into something and, and know something, the more you realize you actually have to know in order to say you know the that thing. Take, take music, for example. Um, we can all say that we, we know the songs that, that we uh, heard tonight, because just for the reason that we heard them and we sang them and we saw the words on the screen. Um, some of us can say we know them better than others. Some of us may, this may have been the first time that we've heard them. However, probably none of us could say that we know those songs better than Nick and Benji, who practice this week, who know the chords, who know the melodies, who know how to sing those songs um, better than most of us. However, none of us, not even Nick and Benji, can say we know those songs better than those who wrote them. None of us are more familiar with the intricacies and notes and the significance of each word and how all of that flows together to form the songs we heard tonight. Here's another example. And this one, this one has kept me up many a night, thinking and pondering over the intricacies of space. Now, we know about the sun, and we, we know about the different planets and moons that make up our solar system, but ours is just one in a seemingly infinite number of solar systems and a seemingly infinite number of galaxies that make up our universe. Like looking into the night sky, you're gazing up into this vast expanse of things that are beyond our wildest dreams. There's black holes and wormholes and supernovas and maybe aliens, who knows. But even those who have devoted their whole professional lives to better understanding space have barely scratched the surface of the infinite mysteries of the space that lies beyond our little planet. Volumes of books can't keep up with these new discoveries, and we're consistently building bigger telescopes, fancier rovers, more efficient and effective rockets, just to look a bit further and a little bit deeper into space. And each day, we know more than we knew the day before, but we're still just getting a glimpse of all there is out there. There's this picture on the screen. It just blows my mind. That, that is, from my understanding, I could be wrong. Um, I've done about 30 minutes cumulative research on space. So, um, This is the deepest photo that we've gotten into space. And each of those little dots are galaxies. And we, we are just a little dot somewhere in there. Not in the picture, but figuratively, you get the idea. And as a matter of fact, you could spend your entire life traveling through space and seeing everything and experiencing everything you come across along the way and only know a small portion of all there is to know about the vastness and the, of the universe. 
Our quest for knowledge goes deeper and deeper, and there is always more to know. And as we look into these last verses in Ephesians 1, we see Paul praying beautifully and expressively in this same direction. He prays that his readers will grow deeper in knowledge, that they will continue to press in to the things that they have learned through their salvation. But the subject is far more significant. In fact, it's the creator of music, the creator of planets, the creator of galaxies, the creator of sound itself, God. So if you'll you'll turn with me to Ephesians 1, we're going to read starting in verse 15. Paul writes, For this reason, and because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the work of his great might, and that he, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Now we've seen over the last couple of weeks, Paul begins this first chapter of Ephesians with the magnificent run-on sentence. I wish I could get away with writing like this, but Aaron Markham is great in my papers and he knows I try my hardest too. And he celebrates the redemptive work of God in Christ and the spiritual blessings that it means for the believer. And over the last couple of weeks, we too have been reflecting on the beauty of his salvation and the incredible things that God has done for his people in Christ and the hope that Jesus offers to us and the inheritance we obtain through him. And now we come to the conclusion of this section where Paul looks back on this extended blessing and breaks out in a beautiful prayer of thanksgiving and intercession. If you notice, he starts off this section by referring back to the previous section. If you look back a couple verses in in verse 13, Paul writes, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And he starts off in verse 15 by saying, For this reason, that we see back in uh, verse 13, And because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul has seen and heard of the salvation of the people of Ephesus and the fruit that has flowed from that in, in the love that they have extended to their brothers and sisters in Christ and prays not for their salvation, but because of it. And he prays for something very specific and profound. He prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, the same God that we've celebrated and seen uh, manifest in the remainder of Ephesians 1, the same God 
of our Lord, or excuse me, the same God that has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, who chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, and the one who predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, and sealed us with the promise of the Holy Spirit. He prays that this God may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Paul thanks and praises God for the salvation of his people, but he also intercedes on their behalf that they will go deeper. That the Spirit will grant them both wisdom, which we've previously defined as how to live rightly in God's world, and revelation. Or he prays that they will get a glimpse into God's plans and purposes for his people. Also that they may know him more. Now, this is not a special wisdom or or new revelation, but a deeper knowledge of that which they've already received at their salvation. I think think back to when me and my little brother were were growing up, and I handed him several book series that I loved. And I was like, here, man, read this. And every time he would come up to me and be like, Jonathan, Jonathan, this just happened, this just happened. And we we would talk for a while and celebrate that moment and get excited over that moment. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking the whole time, I was like, I cannot wait till you read a little bit more. Like, I cannot wait till you find out what happens next. Keep reading. Keep pressing in. And similarly, similarly, Paul gives thanks to God for the work of salvation and the fruit being exhibited in the lives of the readers. But he prays that God will continue to grow them in that knowledge. But not only that, he prays that they may have the eyes of their hearts enlightened. Now, if you're like me, this sounds kind of funny and slightly terrifying at the fact that you're looking at a heart with big old eyes. But in this context, the heart refers to the very center of the physical, spiritual, and mental life of a person. It's their entire being. Similarly to how how we would think of the head or the brain today, this is how the heart was pictured uh, in this context. So in praying that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened by the knowledge of God, Paul is asking that this knowledge envelop their entire being. That it works its way into all the nooks and crannies and affects the things that they say and do, the things that they feel and the things that they believe. And that the Spirit will so firmly implant this wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God within them that it affects every single aspect of their life. That they will grow deeper and that they will know more. And and while this prayer can be applied generally to many things in the Christian life, Paul prays specifically that they will know three things. He writes, starting off in verse 18, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the work of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. And gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now each of these petitions here start with the the, the word what. And we'll kind of break those down. You'll see see them on the screen. Um, And each of them are beautiful and deeply meaningful. 
Um, So we're going to take a look at each of those individually. The first, Paul prays that we may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Hope is a powerful thing. And we talked about it last week when Trevor mentioned Viktor Frankl, who so poignantly stated, he who has a why to live can bear almost any how. Hope drives us along. Hope sustains us. It is life-bringing. It draws our eyes upward from whatever's in front of us and directs them ahead to something greater. It keeps our feet moving forward when we feel like all they can do is shuffle along. And nowhere is hope more prevalent than in the gospel of Christ. Before Christ, we were in a pitiable state. Paul draws out this in detail for his readers just a little later at the beginning of chapter 2. If we look at verses 1 and 2 of Ephesians 2, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And then again, in verse 12 of chapter 2, he says, Remember that you were at at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This is a sad and frankly depressing reality of life apart from Christ. We are enslaved, or we were enslaved to the circumstances that are right in front of you because up ahead there is nothing more than just the same thing over and over and over. Such is the course of this world. But praise the Lord that through Christ we are called to hope. Now we are, as it says in 1 Peter 2 9, a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And while we may encounter the same circumstances, we do so with eyes fixed on the marvelous light that is ahead of us. In speaking of this hope, Charles Spurgeon states this. He says, his hope, his being the Christian, his hope is that all through life, whether it be long or short, and he has not much care for, for about the number of years, underneath him will be the everlasting arms. He hopes that the Lord will be his shepherd, and he shall not want. He hopes that goodness and mercy will follow him all the days of his life. Hence he is not afraid to die. For then he expects to come into his actual possession of his best possessions. He looks for his best things last, He believes that when it's time for him to depart, Jesus will come and meet him. And the thought of that meeting puts aside all idea of grim terrors of the grave. His hope leaps over the grave and lands him in a glorious resurrection. Does not the hope of our calling open grandly? This is the future and eternal hope that we are all called to. And it is not a vain or temporary hope because as it says in places like Romans 11.29, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And Paul himself is so confident in this hope that he speaks of it as laid up in heaven for us in Colossians 1.5. 
And this hope is something that is securely ours from the moment of salvation, but we must never grow tired of exploring its depths as it sustains and carries us onward. Secondly, Paul prays that we may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Last week, um, we heard Trevor preach about our inheritance in Christ. We looked at at verse 11, uh, which states, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We saw that in Christ, we inherit everything. And Trevor read this incredible quote from Martin Luther. Um, This is now the second quote I've stolen from from Trevor. Um, But without cost and out of pure grace, you have given me this boundless blessing in your dear son. Through him you take sin, death, and hell from me and do grant me all things that belongs to him. Amen. Our inheritance in Christ is magnificent and gives us an even further substance to the hope that we discuss that we have in the future. However, this week we see Paul is praying that his reader may grow in a deeper knowledge of God's inheritance in the saints. And while this may first sound strange, it's not a foreign concept throughout Scripture. The Old Testament is ripe with language like that found in Deuteronomy 9, 29 that says, For for they are your people and your heritage, whom you brought out of your great power, whom you brought out of your great power and by your outstretched arm. Or Deuteronomy 32, 9. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob his allotted heritage. The psalmist also decrees, or excuse me, declares in Psalm 33, 12. Blessed blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Through Christ, we are adopted as sons and daughters of God and are called his inheritance. And this this is a crazy thought because when I think of an inheritance, I think of wealth and riches and vaults of money and priceless art, and large houses on large pieces of property, and Scrooge McDuck diving into his big money pool. I don't think of myself. Compared to the cattle on a thousand hills and all of creation that God already possesses, what am I? But here's the crazier thing still. Worth is not determined by some fixed quality, but it's the price that one is willing to pay to obtain it. And brothers and sisters, Christ the eternal Son, fully God and fully man, gave his life for you. How valuable we must be in his sight. Despite our faults, our sins, and even our thoughts of ourselves, God has purchased us as his inheritance, and this gives us incredible value. How comforting it is to know that our identity and our worth is not something that we must prove, it's not something we must earn. No amount of striving or labor could make us more valuable or more worthy than we already are in Christ. And we can look again to verses like we read earlier in 1 Peter, 
which states that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And it is Paul's prayer that we recognize this identity and press into it deeply as we grow in knowledge of the one who calls us his inheritance. Now lastly, Paul spends most of his time in in this section praying that the reader may know the greatness of God's power. He writes starting in verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him up from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul continues to use this beautiful and expressive language to build up their effect. He says, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? the working of his great might, all to indicate the magnitude of God's power. Similar to the songs we sang today, how marvelous, how wonderful. This piling on of words in this manner has the effect of placing a snowball on top of a hill and it's rolling down, collecting more and more snow until it achieves a massive result. And we, but we, like the readers, are familiar with these works of power um, as they com- comprise the word of truth and the gospel of salvation that we have heard and received. It's God's power and authority on display through the work of Christ. However, Paul says something more about this power. All of this power, he describes, is towards us who believe. The same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God and put all things under his feet is the same power that is working in us. It's the same power that brought us to salvation and the one that sustains us until we claim our inheritance. How comforting to know that it is that power that brings us to salvation and holds us fast. It is not by our own might. And how incomprehensible it is to think that the power of the one that accomplished the single greatest event in the history of the world has us in its line of sight. What security we can hold on to as we navigate through life knowing that no rule, no authority, no power, no dominion, nothing we could name or think of or imagine in this age or the next is not under the foot of the one who calls us his own. And even more still, he has been established as the head of the church. And we, as the body of Christ, act in this power and authority as we seek to fulfill the purposes of his will in this present age. This should give us boldness. This should give us boldness to go out and proclaim the good news to everyone, regardless of cultural or political climate or persecution or threat, because the one whom we serve is far above all of the things that we may fear.
Paul's prayer here is vital for us to understand, for as we grow in knowledge of the power of God, we better understand our source of security and confidence and authority. Go deeper. Grow in knowledge of him. Grab hold of the wisdom and revelation from God. This is the continued prayer of Paul. The hope to which we are called, our inheritance in God, and his immeasurable power towards us are all deep wells. Like the far reaches of space, we could and should explore the depths of these topics for the decades the Lord has for us on earth, and we will still find that there is more to know. We will still be surprised by the persistence of the hope that we have in the eternal future. We will still marvel in the pri- at the price that was paid for our salvation and the inheritance we receive in Christ, and we will still tremble before the mighty power of God. And these are just three of the topics that God, through His Spirit, has revealed to us. This call to a deeper knowledge of God is daunting, but through it we taste eternity. For as Paul, Paul promises in, in 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. The things we learn now are just the beginning. And there still remains an eternity of knowing, loving, and worshiping God. Now, there may be some of you in the room who have not taken the first step in receiving the wisdom and revelation that comes from knowing God. Maybe you're hearing some of this for the first time or just beginning to explore what it means to be saved. My question to you is, could you believe this? Could you believe that the incredible fact that God exerts his great power towards you so that he may claim you as his glorious inheritance in Christ and give you eternal hope for the future? Could you take the first step in the journey of a lifetime? I know I would, I would love to talk to you more about the immeasurable greatness of his power and the glorious riches of his inheritance, and, I, and I'm sure the pastors would as well. Um, so pull one of us aside after service. I'm, I'm sure we'd love to chat. Not to the believer in the room. My first question to you is simple. Do you know this? Do you know what is the hope to which he has called you? Do you know what are the riches of his inglorious inheritance in the saints? Do you know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us believe? or towards us who believe. And if you do, are you growing in the knowledge of God? Are you stretching the limits of the things that you know and comprehend? Are you reminding yourself daily of these things and worshiping the Lord through them? My second question is is just as simple. Do you pray like this? For yourself or for others? If the answer is no, could you pray like this? 
Could you weekly pray through this passage for yourself and for others? Could you say things like Monday? Lord, I thank you for the word of truth and the gospel of salvation. Thank you for saving me so that I may know you more. Tuesday. Heavenly Father, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation that I may grow in the knowledge of you. Wednesday. Lord, enlighten the eyes of my heart that I may Uh, that my whole life may be affected by the knowledge that you have revealed. Thursday, God, help me to know the hope that you have called me to and allow me to rest in it daily. Friday, Heavenly Father, allow me to comprehend the glorious riches of your inheritance in the saints and strengthen me to live accordingly. Saturday, Lord, show me the immeasurable greatness of of your power towards us who believe and empower me to act in it. Sunday, Lord, I pray all of this for my brothers and sisters in Christ, that they may grow deeper in the knowledge, grace, and love that you have shown to us. Amen. How would a simple prayer like this change the way you live, pray, study, and interact with others? Because this has, this has importance. And, and I think to fully grasp that importance, the importance of growing deeper in our knowledge of God, it's helpful to, to flip over a few books and, and look at the church of Ephesus just a few years later. Hear this from Revelation 2, verses 1 through 5. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had for at first. Remember therefore, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. The church in Ephesus knew doctrine. They knew good from evil. They tested false teachers, but they forgot the love they had at first. They grew stagnant in their faith, content with what they knew, and because of it, Jesus himself threatens to remove their lampstand from its place. May it never be so for us. May we hunger and thirst to go deeper. May we hunger and thirst to know more. May we be excited to dive into the deep wells of the knowledge of God. May we instead be like the unicorn at the end of C.S. Lewis' The Last Battle, who upon seeing Aslan's country proclaims, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it until now. The reason why we loved old Narnia is that it sometimes looked like this. Come further up. Come further in. This is the prayer of Paul in this passage. Grow in the knowledge of God. Come further up. 
come further in? Is this your first time hearing of the great salvation that we have in Christ? Repent and believe. Come further up. Come further in. Have you been saved by the blood of Christ and know God intimately? Grow in the knowledge of him. Remember your first love. Come further up and come further in. In just a few moments, I'm going to pray. Um, and we're going to have a, a, after that, we're going to have a time of reflection. There are a couple questions in your bulletin. Um, we ask you to just read over those, pray through those, and reflect on how we, are, we, as believers, can dive deeper into the knowledge of God and how we can come further up and further in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel of your salvation. Thank you for your Holy Spirit sealing us as a, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Father God, I pray that we do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering what you have done for us and other believers in our life, I pray um, that we will continue to dive deeper into knowledge of you, that we will pray daily and weekly and monthly for the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may grow in the knowledge of you. Lord, enlighten the eyes of our hearts that our fullness, that our life's every aspect of it may radiate and reflect your glory. Father God, may we know what is the hope to which we have, you have called us. May we comprehend and rest in the glorious and the riches of the glorious inheritance of the saints. And may we behold your immeasurable greatness. And may we proclaim it to the world. May we be emboldened by all that you have done for us, having our eyes fixed firmly on the things that are to come. Father God, thank you for all that you've done and all that you continue to do. I pray that that we will dive deeper into knowledge of you. In Jesus' name.